Today on Millennial. If I order something from somewhere that's not Amazon and it takes like a week and a half to get here, I get frustrated by it because I want the thing. You are embarrassing me. I know. This is this is bad. They promised you something and then you don't get it. Yeah, I'm just trying to be truthful. I'll open up my credit card and I'll be like, whoa, shit. Yeah. How did that get that high? It's usually always little things, isn't it? Like yeah. buying a lunch every day if you work in an office or buying a cup of coffee every day, even if it's a drip, all of that adds up. And then before you know it, you're spending $40 a week just on coffee alone. Kira, what are some of the lesser known benefits of doing an at-home DNA test like 23andMe? What people may not be aware of is the health side of the information. There are genes that are looked at that can play a role in cancer development. Yeah, to that point, our social media manager, Chloe, took one of these and she says 23andMe saved her life. Welcome to Millennial 807, the home of fake adulting, but real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. So, um... How do we want to jump into this bit of not so exciting news today? <laughs> it's a clusterfuck, so I feel like the best thing we can do is rip the band-aid off. Y'all, we have to talk a little bit about this situation with uh, Russia and Ukraine. We actually did a breaking news on this last night. So if you are a $10 supporter over at patreon.com slash millennial, you can go and hear our initial coverage and analysis of this issue. Um, but we did want to provide a brief update here at the top of this week's show. Today, President Biden gave an update on what he calls, quote, the beginning of an invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Um, he also announced sanctions on Russian businesses, two large financial financial institutions, their sovereign debt, and Russia's elite Um, This is effectively cutting Russia off from Western financing in an effort to get them to back off. Russia has already entered a couple of separatist regions of Ukraine, and Vladimir Putin has made it clear that he wants to keep going. Um, So the U.S. is trying its damnedest to exercise, you know, diplomacy where it can and bring down some hard sanctions on Russia to get them to stop. Unfortunately, it's not looking great. Yeah. And there are many more sanctions to come, it seems, especially uh, much stronger ones. I was reading some reporting on Mm -hmm. this today, and it seems like there's a lot, lot further they can go and the rest of the world can go. So really, unfortunately, this whole situation seems to be just getting started. You want to hear something a little odd about this to put a lighter note on it. Today is 2-22-22. Biden today was 22 minutes late to his speech. His speech was supposed to be at 2 o'clock. He was 22 minutes late. His speech was at 2-22 on 2-22-22. Conspiracy. (laughs) Stuff like that freaks me out. Like, whoa, that's just way too odd to me. Imagine if you were turning 22 on 2-22-22. Wouldn't that be weird? Yeah. Golden birthday to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. Coming up today, we'll be joined by one of our Bay Level patrons, Kira, who is a genetic counselor. And we'll talk to her about that line of work, as well as these wildly popular DNA kits that we always hear about. Also, we have some tips for a listener who is about to go through a debt relief program. 
But first, Pam and I have some TV and music streaming frustrations to discuss, right, Pam? Yeah. So speaking of things happening on 2222, today, Kanye West is supposed to drop Donda 2, which is his highly anticipated uh, sequel album to Donda, which was released last year. Is this really highly anticipated? I know Kanye has a lot of fans, but highly anticipated? I feel like that's reporter Pam just trying to (laughs) color a news article. Yes and no, but I do think that like, it's it's highly anticipated to his fan base, which, as you said, is is very large. But I also think that people just love drama. And a lot of people are probably going to try and listen to this just to see if he takes another jab at Pete Davidson or, you know, talks about what he whatever he has to say about uh, Kim Kardashian and stuff like that. So I think it's twofold here. So, yes, this is reporter speak, but also um, I think it's merited. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so uh, the reason that we wanted to talk about this is not really to give you know Kanye West any more free press, uh, but it, it it's just because of the way that he decided to roll this album out. Uh, so last week he took to Instagram, which is his new favorite platform of choice, and he revealed to his fan base that if they want to listen to Donda Two, they will only be able to do so on his own platform and with a stem player, which is a product that he sells on his merch site. Doesn't really sound too bad until you take into account how much this thing costs. It's literally $200. So if you're a Condé fan, he basically just said, fuck you if you don't have money, because this is all I want to release my album on. Um, He made this comment about why he decided that this was the best way for him to release this album. And it was basically just a lot of him taking jabs at streaming services, which to Kanye's credit, do not really pay out artists very much. But at the same time, him telling his fans that he only wants them to be able to listen to this album if they shell out $200 is also, you know, price gouging. So... And $200 for a product they'll use once and then never again. Right. To be fair, you can load more music on there. And there's a lot of, um, like, I guess, features if you're into that stuff, like raising and lowering bass levels, things like that. But at the same time, Which most artists people, are supporting that. Right, right. And then also, <laughs> you know? like, most people don't use MP3 players anymore. Everybody has a built-in MP3 player on their phone. So they're not looking to carry around another device. So right. I, I feel like this guy has more money than God. Maybe not more than the Kardashian family. I don't know where they sort of level compared to each other. But if you really want to stick it to the streaming services and be good to your fans, why not just release it for free? Right. Mm -hmm. Radiohead has done that before. And they're also very huge artists. They, I think they announced very early on in, in like streaming platform history that they were releasing whatever their newest album was at the time for free for anybody. And there have been artists as well that have done tie-ins. Like um, I think you do, you too did a tie-in with Apple yep. as well. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I, that I know was... that you're laughing, but it, I mean, there are other ways to do this for sure. The internet attacked them for oh, that. Remember? It was yeah. so controversial. I, too, so. I worked at the Apple store at the time this happened. People were so mad. Really? Why? Yes, Just swipe people... and delete it. They didn't understand because they were like, Apple put something on my phone that I didn't give permission to be there. And they would come in and Apple actually had to develop like a special opt out tool that you could like direct people to to get the U2 album removed from your music library. Yeah. 
uh, people were not amused. As we've become more privacy minded, that does feel like a privacy issue that a tech company can insert something into an area that you thought you were the only one you had control over. Right. But I'm also I'm looking at the STEM player tech specs because I'm a nerd. It has eight gigabytes of storage. <laughs> the nothing. iPod Nano had eight gigabytes like 10 years ago. This is this going to hold like Kanye 10 albums. really only wants you to just download his entire disog- discography and call it a day. Yeah, it's a Kanye player. That's that's all it is. And by the way, I, w- I just went through the checkout process. process. It's $200 plus another 19 Oh, in taxes. I didn't even hit shipping yet. If shipping is not free, that's just awful. I I don't understand why anybody's going to pay for that. Should we get one and review it for the show? (laughs) (laughs) You know what annoys me about this? We talk about trying to reduce our uh, carbon footprint and reducing single-use plastics, all that, reducing waste. This is something... That his fans are going to use once and then never again because other artists aren't going to support it because it only has eight gigabytes of storage because it looks like it's from the 90s. It doesn't even look cool, in my opinion. Uh, it's it's just going to go in the garbage. And this reminds me of what Neil Young, another streaming rebel, uh, he actually, I don't know if you to remember, he released his own MP3 player as well called the Pono. This was back in 2014, and the pitch with this device was that it offered the highest quality music possible. Neil Young said that it you would listen to music through the Pono, and it sounded like um, it was recorded in the studio. It was it was higher quality than MP3. That failed. That flopped. And this is going to be the exact same thing. Some diehards are going to buy this and they're never going to use it again after a month. This is also something that's very nerdy. And I know that there's a lot of controversy surrounding whether or not things like charts matter. But, um, you know, regardless of what an artist's stance is on that, there is something to be said for uh, music that charts. And and anybody that says that it doesn't matter is also still paying attention to the charts anyway. So that's what I'll preface this with. But I do kind of wonder how they're going to count album sales for this if the album is just technically being given away through the stem player. Uh, And the reason that I bring this up is because way back in the day when I was interning at Billboard, there was a whole discussion to be had about um, Jay-Z and also Lady Gaga deciding to uh, let fans who bought apps get their albums for free. And it was a huge, big thing that Billboard then decided that they would not count that towards physical album sales because people were buying apps. And so I don't know how that's changed, but I do think that that is just something interesting to keep in mind if you are into like the ins and outs of baseball and the music industry. So a couple of new developments with this. Obviously, we have already talked about how dumb we think this is. We're not alone. Even Kanye stands are like, this is really stupid. And somebody in the Discord also brought up the fact that he could have easily just released it only on a CD, which would have been way cheaper. And that is also a point that fans have been making on Reddit and stuff like that. Um, So last week, Kanye also announced that he would be hosting a listening party in Miami, which is what he did for the first Donda. Um, It's open to the public if you buy tickets. According to Rolling Stone, they start at $85, but I'm sure they're a lot more expensive now since that's set to take place 
tonight. Uh, alternatively, though, fans can now also buy tickets to watch the live stream for the Donda 2 concert in IMAX tonight. And this seems to have been added as a direct result of the backlash <laughs> for him deciding <laughs> that everybody has to buy a stub player if they want to listen to his album. And of course, it'll be available on BitTorrent sites. And like, sorry to encourage us, I guess, but... Yeah, it's like it's going to leak. So and we're there's a will, there's a way these fans are going to get it without paying $200. I am wondering, though, how long do y'all think it's going to be before Kanye kind of quietly gives up on this and allows this album and the rest of his music to be available on streaming platforms? A month. (laughs) I mean, if anything, just toss it up on title. He's besties with Jay-Z. That's like yeah. his, I, you know, number one. And I know that title is not something that we talk about a lot, but I do know that they have much better payout for artists that decide to put their music on there than something like a Spotify. So I can't believe title still exists. Mm. I know. <laughs> I remember the only time I ever signed up for title was when Beyonce's Lemonade was an exclusive release on there. <laughs> and as too. soon as that was done... I was like, I don't need this anymore. I had never been more happy about saving a free trial than I had when Beyonce announced that Lemonade would only be available to stream on Tidal. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of obnoxious cash grabs, what is with Netflix splitting seasons into two parts? Laura touched on this a couple weeks ago when she mentioned she started watching Ozark. And this is a popular show for Netflix. It was split into two parts. Part one was released a few weeks ago. Part two is coming out, I think, April-ish. Now, just in the past week, they've announced that Stranger Things Season 5 is going to be released in two chapters. Chapter one debuts May 27th, and Chapter two arrives July 1st. So in other words, Netflix will be able to get two full billing cycles out of fans with those two release dates. They're just over a month window apart so that you can they can bill Why? us twice with these new higher fees. I they must have a lot of data showing people only sign up for specific shows and then immediately canceling because Why else would they do this? It can't be a hunch. They must see this in their data analysis. And they're like, we've got to do something about this. But my feeling is, please, for the love of God, just go to weekly releases already. Release one, maybe two episodes a week. The other thing about this is that when you just dump a bunch of episodes at once, people aren't talking about it on social media because they're afraid of spoiling each other. Everybody's watching at different times, at different paces. So nobody talks about these shows that they just dump. Meanwhile, HBO Max, a streaming platform, is releasing episodes once a week. What's happening with Succession, Euphoria, Peacemaker, etc. on HBO? People are talking about them week to week. So I feel like the smarter strategy for Netflix would be to go to the old school, you could say, weekly release model. I'm I'm really fed up with this part thing because you binge a bunch and then they leave you on a bad cliffhanger in the case of Ozark, in my opinion. And then you have to wait. Yeah, it is funny because for a while I was all about the binging life. Um, but now I don't have time for it anymore. Unless I just happen to have like a few days off work and I really want to catch up on something. But I came to appreciate this with all of the Disney Plus shows, all the Marvel shows on Disney Plus. I really enjoyed 
the weekly releases on those. And it made me feel very open to going back to a weekly release schedule. Please, Netflix, I am begging you. Give us something to look forward to every week in our miserable lives, okay? Let us look forward to new episodes every Friday, every Sunday. This We like this. We like looking forward to a new episode of something every week. And what happens at the end of a season? We get depressed because that season is over. And we'll stay subscribed and look for something else to watch weekly because we want to avoid that depression. Yep. I. So true. The world really sucks right now. And, you know, we got to take the perks where we can get them. Um, so yeah, I agree. I would love to see, especially for some of these bigger shows, like I could see Netflix sticking to their original, you know, dropping a full season method with newer shows that maybe they're trying to get people into. But for the things that you know, people are already hooked on go to weekly. Weekly. Don't you want people talking about your shows on social media? That's what confuses me most. It's very clear people aren't talking about these week to week. You do weekly, you get weekly reactions. That's free advertising on Netflix. Why aren't we being paid billions at Netflix to give them this great advice? I was going to say with Stranger Things specifically, um, I I just have a hunch that a a weekly drop of one or two episodes would uh, work especially well for this particular season because... The um, excuse they gave for this is that they just had so much material for season four. And so it was going to be <laughs> double the amount of episodes. But but fans that have been following along with Stranger Things season four news will know that um, they already released titles for season four. So I'm not, I don't think they're going to release like a whole new slew of like titles for season 4B or whatever they're going to call it, but I can see episodes being longer. And at this point, if an episode is like 2 hours in length, that's pretty much a movie. They had a lot of success with Fear Street dropping the four installments of that mini series yep. week to week over the course of the whole of July. That would honestly be the way to go in my opinion from a purely logistical standpoint. And we would all gobble it up. Yeah. And I have to say, Fear Street was something we really looked forward to because we watched the first one and we were like, okay, this is pretty good. And we were excited for the subsequent installments. Makes total sense. I do wonder, though, do you think Netflix is going to kind of be delicate about releasing this next season of Stranger Things? Because it does have ties to Russia. And I don't know how deep Mm. those go or if there's going to be some sort of corporate acknowledgement that maybe this isn't the best time to be super critical towards Russia, even in a fictional format. So that'll be interesting. Hmm. I guess the only thing that they might be able to do to get away with that if they don't is just um, stressing the fact that it takes place in the 80s. Right. Right. In the 80s or not. Are they in the 90s now? I can't remember exactly. I think they're still in the 80s. But like the 80s, also not a great time for US Russian foreign relations. No, that's true. They're never leaving the 80s, at least in this version of the show. Probably not. I would say it's it's too, (laughs) that's like half the appeal. But they'll do a follow up series, Stranger Things, the 90s. Uh, and by the way, Pam, Pam's right for any listeners who caught the difference in how we're describing this. This is season four. I think I said season five a few minutes oh. ago. But season five will be the final season they also announced. 
something else I wanted to mention, speaking of streaming, Amazon Prime recently announced that they are raising their prices. This is the first time they've done this since 2018. The annual price is going from $119 to $139, so it's a $20 increase. If you're on the monthly plan, you're going from $12.99 to $14.99. I wanted to mention this because, at least for me, and I have a feeling for you too as well, the only thing we're actually using within Amazon Prime is that quote-unquote free two-day shipping or one-day shipping in some cases. And it's really good, but with the prices going up, you do have to start asking yourselves if it's worth it. So my family shares a subscription, so it's not that bad. Also, we do watch some stuff on Prime Video. Okay. Like, we actually just watched, uh, we rented Last Night in Soho last night, which was really good. Bonus recommendation. If you haven't seen it, watch that movie. Um, So we do go to Prime sometimes to see if there's something we want to watch to see if it's available to stream or if the rental price is cheap. Um, And then I think other people in my family might use other things. Like I know my dad uses music. He likes he's very much like I want to download my music. I want to own my music. He's not big into like the music streaming life. But also Amazon is like the devil. I I acknowledge it completely. Well, yeah. Agreed. But we can't quit you. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's too convenient. It's too good. I just have to, sometimes I I think about how much the yearly subscription is for Prime. And then I, whenever I do that, I try my best to take advantage of some of the other stuff that I don't. So lately I have been trying, for the last month or so, I've been trying to watch more on Prime Video because that's included. And obviously now there are some shows that are coming back, like Mrs. Maisel just came back for its third season i believe and then somebody else brought up the boys that's really popular the spinoff is coming back as well or is coming up as well they have the lord of the Rings series the wheel of time also was a big one for them last year so there is some good stuff on prime video um and then i know that you made a, a note here about the the Whole Foods deals. For a while, I was working very near Whole Foods, and I would constantly check to see if there were some good little coupons okay. and stuff like that there as well. Um, so yeah. you know, if you if you're ritzy and you shop at Whole Foods, or if you like to go there for lunch or something like that, it, every once in a while, it's worth it to just check to see if you can get a, a nice little discount. I mean, yeah. as a consumer, it's really hard to think of a business model that compares to what Amazon provides. Yeah, Because it is a one-stop shop for a lot of things. Amazon Prime does have a page where you can see every feature you get with Amazon Prime. There's a good 30, 35 things here. Many of them you would never be interested in, but some you might. So you might want to check out this page. Maybe we can include a link in the show notes if if you are subscribed. It is worth it for the free two-day shipping in a lot of cases. And for those of us who do use Amazon a lot throughout the year... It's definitely worth it for the shipping. If you're only buying like one thing a month from Amazon, then I would reconsider. But if you're making a lot of orders, as I am throughout the year, I mean, just looking at my orders page right now, it says 20 orders placed in the past three months. Yeah. uh, It's worth it. Books as well usually ship next day if you catch them early enough, which is really, really nice. But I will say that in general, I have noticed that the last few things I ordered from Amazon were delayed. One package in general never showed up at all. So they offered me a refund. Same thing happened to me. Yeah, it is kind of like interesting that they've chosen to up 
the price when it seems like over the course of the last few months, specifically, the two-day shipping hasn't really been a guarantee. That Yeah, that does seem to be the case. I ordered a new mic arm. It was going to take more than two days, even though it says it's prime shipping. Yeah, like, yeah, that's the whole thing, There's some sneaky too. stuff going on mm-hmm. there. Also, just how spoiled are we as a culture now that if we can't get something delivered in two days, we're like, oh, that's unacceptable. Well, okay, but here's the thing. In in my defense, personally, I I, <laughs> I will say that like if I can I for a long time I I was just subscribing to the idea that instant gratification was best. So it was like, why am I going to order something if, on Amazon if I can go to Best Buy and get that thing, or if I could go to Target to get that thing. And so and now that, you know, this whole two-day shipping is, like we were talking about, not guaranteed anymore, I do kind of start to think, okay, well, like, if Amazon's not going to be able to give this to me in two days, then maybe I need to, like, look to see if the stores around me have it instead. So, but yes, (laughs) that's still part of the problem. (laughs) I made a recommendation on the show a few months ago to use Amazon Day. And I didn't know this until a week or two ago. This is Apparently, an Amazon Prime feature, this lets you pick a certain day of the week that all of your packages will be delivered. And I recommended this as a way to help relieve the stress on the delivery drivers. Unfortunately, just, you know, asking people to do it here on the podcast isn't going to make a huge difference. Maybe it'll make a minor one if, you know, for for certain drivers in our listeners areas. But this, this is a great way to avoid that need to get things within two days. And like my neighbor, one of my neighbors, I'm seeing an Amazon truck outside that house like every day. And I'm like, you guys, come on. You know what's happening in that house. They're sitting there watching TV. They randomly order something without thinking about it. you know. And they don't care that the, the delivery drivers are stopping by their house every day. But I mean, it's crazy how addicted we are to getting everything we need the next day or two days later. Everybody has to chill. And one way to practice chill is using the Amazon Day feature. You know what's so funny is uh, I just saw in the Discord, Cindy said, I get annoyed sometimes when I pick Amazon Day and then the package comes sooner anyway. And I actually have a really funny story about this. Um, This happened to me when I ordered Andrew's Secret Santa present and I knew that you and Pat were going to be away. So I picked the Amazon Day because I knew you would be back by the time the Amazon Day happened and then they said good news we shipped it early and in my head I was like well shit I hope they have really honest neighbors because now that package is just gonna sit out there and I was so stressed out (laughs) until you know we we all um you know confirmed that we had gotten our gifts because I was just thinking about somebody stealing oh no yeah so. Yeah, I got one of those Amazon ring doorbells. So if anybody were to steal it, I would have caught them. I'm just totally all in on Amazon. <laughs> oh, yeah, I have one of those, too. They're great. They're great. Yeah. Oh, they're super great. But yeah, I have to say I've become a total brat about shipping. If I order something from somewhere that's not Amazon and it takes like a week and a half to get here, I get I get frustrated by it because I want are embarrassing the thing. me. I know it's well, no, is, it really is, is just because you pay for a service and they promise you something and then you don't get it. Yeah, you're just I'm like, just well, trying to be truthful. Yeah, we can be I honest with that. ourselves here. Yes. You know? if it's something that's low stakes, it's not going to bother me. But if it's like 
I don't know, like I really needed a belt for this dress that I wanted to wear. And I ordered it in advance and it was supposed to get here before the day I needed to wear the belt with the dress that I'm going to be a little annoyed. Yeah, if you if you need something, you need something. I totally get that. But I think some people are addicted to ordering every little thing and getting it straight away. They want that instant gratification, as you said a few minutes ago. Let me me ask Uh, you a question before we move on. Um, Because you know that you're um, your neighbors order stuff from Amazon almost and they get deliveries almost daily. Does that ever make you feel like you might as well just look for that instant <laughs> gratification because they're coming there to your Pam neighborhood again, anyway? Telling us how addicted she is to Amazon. <laughs> no, I'm just you know curious what? about like you specifically. Like, is there a little devil on your shoulder being like, Andrew, don't do it. Just like do the two day because you know so-and-so next door is going to have the package delivered anyway. No, you know? no, because I still feel bad for these delivery drivers. Okay, I see these fair. Amazon trucks out seven days a week after the sun falls, you know, eight, nine o'clock sometimes I see these delivery drivers out. They are overworked. So any small part I can contribute. Okay. There was somebody in the neighborhood Facebook group a few weeks ago who complained about the delivery driver lobbing a package at their door. I'm like, you motherfucker. This person is trying to save a few steps because they're probably coming to your house every day and they've got a million things to deliver. If they can save a few steps by lobbing the package, let them. And P.S., your package is being thrown around a million other places when it's coming over here from China. So fuck off. That's fair. You're a good person. (laughs) And we love you. No, I mean, I I, I agree with you. Um, I will say if a package specifically says fragile, on there and I see someone just tossing it that will frustrate me Um, but no I hear you I think people are really hard on these drivers because they're not thinking of them as people they're just thinking about their insatiable need to have what they want now all right well I'm glad we spoke about that we got our feelings out about Amazon and I learned that Laura and Pam are really addicted addicted to online ordering and getting stuff very quickly you can't respond to that we're moving on we're moving on speaking of uh, shopping online actually we have just one sponsor this week and they are actually one of our favorites Felix Gray they are the blue light glasses that started the trends Felix Gray makes eyewear that improves daily screen time and creates a better relationship with technology Thanks to these glasses, you can help reduce the eye strain, the headaches, and the insomnia that comes with staring at a screen for as long as we do every day. There have been studies, actually, that show that blue light filters built into phones don't actually work. So you really got to use actual glasses. Those phone settings are just throwing a yellow filter over your screen. The blue light is still coming out. That yellow filter actually isn't helpful. So that's why you got to order Felix Gray's glasses, which are physically filtering that blue light out and creating a better experience for your eyes every day. And they also look fantastic. Felix Gray lenses filter 15 times more of the blue light that's bothering you. Check out their site and you'll see the science behind Felix Gray and their glasses. It's it's really interesting to read, actually. These are just a must-have to improve your everyday life. Non-prescription and prescription glasses are available. Check them out now. FelixGrayGlasses.com slash M-I-L-L. That's F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y Glasses.com slash M-I-L-L. Free shipping, free returns, free exchanges. FelixGrayGlasses.com slash M-I-L-L. And we'll also have a link in today's show notes. Awesome. 
Uh, Moving into our next story, we received a confessional from one of our listeners who is pursuing a particular debt relief program to give them some relief from a high amount of credit card debt. We thought we could read this, chat a little bit about these circumstances and whether or not we could see ourselves pursuing the same solution if we ever found ourselves in this place, plus provide a couple of resources to anyone who may be in a similar position. So the confessional writer says, adulting is hard. I mean, I'm going to stop you there. Yes, you are correct. (laughs) (laughs) Fake adulting, but real talk. Um, And they say, over the last several years, I've had to use my credit cards more than I should have and for things you shouldn't, like rent. I had gotten myself into a lot of debt, and with my minimum payments getting higher and higher, it was getting out of control. I was looking into debt consolidation, but was not qualifying for loans because of my high debt-to-income ratio, and a balance transfer was out of the question. An acquaintance had recommended a particular debt relief program they had used to get themselves out of debt and had a good experience with, so they recommended it to me. I looked into it, and after consulting with a representative from the company, I enrolled in the program. If all goes as planned, in three to four years, I will be debt-free. It is going to be scary. Uh, It's going to be a scary journey because I have to let my credit cards go to collections so the company can negotiate a repayment plan with the creditors. My credit score is going to plummet as that happens, but it will go up after I start paying my debt off. I want to be able to buy a house in the coming years and having that much debt would have made it impossible. I'm going to have to cut back on spending and budget my life as I go through this and that will be very hard. I've had a lot of anxiety about putting my debt repayment and future in someone else's hands, but I know I made the right decision in getting help. I'll try to keep you all updated in the coming year on how things are going. Thank you. And yeah, I think we would all agree here that this was the right decision, a tough one, a scary one. But it sounds like you did your research, which was great. And you got a recommendation, which is also super, super helpful. So yeah, sounds like you're off to a great start. Yeah. And I'll I'll give my usual disclaimer anytime we're talking about financial things. This is not financial advice. So if you are thinking of pursuing something similar to what the confessional writer wrote about, um, please speak to a financial advisor. Um, we're going to provide a couple of resources at the end of the discussion for seeking um, cost-effective financial help. Um, so stay tuned for those. But To kind of kick off this discussion, I wanted to be a little vulnerable today and say um, to this confessional writer and to anyone who might find themselves in the same position, um, I got myself into some pretty painful credit card debt once. Um, Without getting too specific, I will say it was greater than 10 grand, (laughs) less than like 20 So it was quite a bit. And it's amazing how quickly you can amass that kind of debt. Largely, a lot of that comes down to not paying your balances every month and accruing interest month over month. It gets to the point where you're building interest on interest that has already accrued. Um, So it's just a really tough situation. In my case, I did not get into credit card debt because I was trying to live. I was just young and didn't have the best grasp of what financing meant. 
Um, so for me, it was a, a hard lesson that I had to learn. In your case, I think it's different because you were using it to try and live and pay rent. To me, that suggests there were circumstances outside your control that made it so this was your only choice. All of that is to say, there are so many reasons why people end up in debt. So I think it's really important to be kind to yourself and give yourself the space to learn from the experience. I think it's really unfair that being in debt is viewed as a sort of taboo. Um, This person mentioned in their email that they didn't really want to talk to anyone in their life about this because it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. But also, I think, especially here in the United States, culturally, people who end up in a lot of debt are kind of looked down upon by some others. And I think that that's kind of hilarious and hypocritical because um, the average U.S. household held a revolving credit debt amount of $6,000 in 2021. Um, That's just credit debt that you're carrying month to month. Um, That doesn't account for things like student loan debt, mortgages, personal loans, car loans, things like that. Um, So (laughs) the vast majority of Americans are holding some kind of debt. So I just think it's really unfair when people who sort of like try to start addressing the problem and speak about it openly get kind of shit on and treated like they're being irresponsible because you really can't know somebody's personal circumstances, right? The other thing too is it's kind of difficult to monitor how much you're actually spending. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, you can load up your credit card app, your bank app and see But there's nobody really nudging you like these credit cards and banks should to spend less. Like while you were just talking, Laura, and I loved everything that you said and thank you for sharing all that. I was just looking at my Chase app and going through my credit card area and looking to see if I could just like turn on an alert if I go over a certain amount. I didn't see anything like that. No. Now, of course, they want you to spend more, so you pay more interest and all that. Um, But they also try to pretend like they care about you. They have these planning sections in in these bank and credit card apps, and they're like, we're here for you if you need assistance and stuff like that. But they secretly want you to build up uh, more debt. And I think that's my biggest problem is I just don't really see the spending happening. Yeah, I'm doing it, but I don't see it adding up, maybe I just need to be more careful to actually check my credit card on a recurring basis. Because what happens to me once or twice a month is I'll open up my credit card and I'll be like, whoa, shit, how did that get that high? Like, I see everything, everything makes sense, but it's kind of mind blowing sometimes to see it all add up. It's usually always little things, isn't it? Like, I know a lot of people, I don't, I think I probably went through a phase where I did this, but uh, like even going out to lunch every day, buying a lunch every day if you work in an office or buying a cup of coffee every day, even if it's a drip, all of that adds up. And then before you know it, you're spending $40 a week just on coffee alone, if not more, or maybe a little bit less. And that that is really where they get you, isn't it? Yeah. And because you're not making, you know, you're not cognizant about it, you're just swiping it's just really easy to not even realize how much you could be saving if you didn't do that. 
Yeah. I definitely try to use my debit card for most little purchases because I feel like I'm far more aware of what's in my actual bank account than I am what's on my credit card at any given point in time. Um, And then a couple times a month, I look at my credit card to be like, okay, what's on here? And I just, (laughs) because of my experience before, I am conditioned to zero that sucker out every month, even if it hurts, even if it's like, oh, this is a little higher than I thought it was going to be. It's like, nope, it's got to go. But yeah, it takes time to work yourself into that kind of habit. And it also takes having the right resources to be able to get there. It drives me fucking nuts to see articles like this millennial, you know, at 25 years old, got a job (laughs) paying 100,000 a year and paid off $250,000 in debt. And it's like you read into it and it's like, well, yeah, they lived with their parents the entire time. Yeah. And they're now a millionaire. It's all clickbait stuff. I follow CNBC on Twitter. They're writing articles like that all the time. Yeah. And so I say that because I want to acknowledge with my particular circumstance, I got very lucky and was able to work on my own to pay that debt down. I was able to pursue a zero interest credit card that I could transfer my balance to to give myself enough time to pay it down without paying interest on it. But the only reason I was able to do that as quickly as I was is because I was living with my parents rent free. And I feel like that is a part of the conversation that gets lost. Sometimes, you know, people like to talk a big game about like, well, I did this. And I sacrificed and I saved. And it's like, yeah, I did all of those things, but I wasn't paying anyone rent. So I had an easier time doing so. So I just wanted to put that out there, too, because I know this person was having to pay for their rent with a credit card. And I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, well, Laura did it. So I should be able to, you know, everyone's (laughs) circumstance is different. Um, yeah. I also want to say debt collectors are so stressful to deal with. Confessional writer, I don't know if you've had to deal with any of them yet, but if this debt relief program is taking that on for you, blessed, because debt collectors are the <laughs> fucking worst. They're terrible. They'll tell you anything. They have no problem lying to you about being able to Ugh. like come and take stuff from you if you're not paying your debt. They'll lie to you about trashing your credit beyond the point where it probably will be trashed. Um, They'll just start trying to tell you all kinds of things to scare you into agreeing to a repayment plan that's not going to be advantageous for you. So I think it's a good thing that you're letting somebody else take that off your plate. I've been financially good through... Most of my life, I've I've said this before on the show, I try to put everything on a credit card because I love racking up those credit card points and spending them on hotels, airfare, stuff like that. Um, I never, never, never use a debit card. That said, I treat the credit card as a debit card in that I am paying it off every month and I have the auto payment set up and I'm lucky that I can do this, but... Um, by setting up auto payments every month on the credit card, it is forcing me to spend wisely. So I'm never going to go and make a crazy purchase on my credit card because I know I am paying it 
later this month or early next. So that's what keeps me from spending out of control. Yeah. I thought we could talk about um, debt relief programs like the one that the confessional writer wrote it about. Um, They didn't list which one they went through. There are several you can choose from, but I did find a good example of one. It's called nationaldebtrelief.com. And the way it works is exactly what the confessional writer described. Um, You hand over your, you stop using your credit cards, you stop making payments, you hand over control of all of those things and communications with um, the, the people you owe the debt to, um, to this company. So they're able to negotiate a settlement for you and you make one payment. They sort of consolidate all of your debt and you make one payment every month to them. Um, I think this is really interesting because it's not something that... I was really aware existed. Um, but just like the confessional writer said, early on, your credit score will probably fall because they're going to be negotiating a settlement. And you're not going to be making payments. Um, but something that they did note on their website that I thought was interesting is that even though your credit probably will dip during this time, they say that within 24 to 48 months, uh, people, you know, finish paying off their debt with credit scores that are either fully recovered or improved. On the other hand, if you wipe out credit card debt through Chapter 7 or Chapter 13 bankruptcy, that information can stay in your credit report for years. So if you file Chapter 7, it'll be on your credit report for 10 years. For Chapter 13, it's seven years. So if you're looking at the possibility of having your credit score tanked for like two years versus 10, that's a much sweeter deal, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I think some people might look at some of these situations at the outset, seeing 24 to 48 months, um, you know, it taking that long for your credit score to bounce back. Yes, but just get the process started now. And within a few years, you will be back on your feet, financially speaking. And then in the case of the confessional writer, you can attempt to buy the house with the good credit. Or maybe you want to buy a car or something else that requires good credit. It it sucks in the short term, but it just seems like such a great idea in the long term. Yeah. And I mean, again, everyone's situation is very different. You know, if you're if someone at home listening to this is carrying some credit card debt, you know, depending on your situation, it might be smarter for you to take out a low interest personal loan or to open up a zero percent interest credit card to do a balance transfer. So you have more time to pay that debt off. Um, It really is just going to depend on each individual circumstance. And we definitely recommend as we said at the top of this discussion, reaching out for financial advice. Um, we do have uh, a couple of different resources y'all can turn to for um, either free or low cost financial advice. Um, and we'll link to them in the show notes as well. There's the Foundation for Financial Planning. They're a pro bono financial planning service for financially vulnerable people. There is the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. They are the U.S.'s largest nonprofit financial counseling organization. And also, you can go through the U.S. Department of Justice's website. They have a search tool for finding a credit counseling agency who can help you. Um, 
these kinds of resources can help you with budgeting, financial planning, or debt consolidation, debt payoff, and things like that. So before you decide that, you know, maybe what you heard about in today's discussion is the right thing for your particular situation, we definitely recommend checking out these resources just to confirm that before you get anything started. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you for sharing those. I'm sure those will be super helpful. Before we bring on our Bay guest, Kira, we wanted to just spend a minute talking about our Patreon. We actually have a really fire after dark coming up today. Our beloved social media manager, our sexy social media manager, as and I only say that because she calls herself sexy, so I'm just sharing how she describes herself. She is <laughs> sexy, of course, but as her boss, it's like weird for me to say. But anyway, um, in After Dark today, Chloe will be joining us, and we're going to be talking about the resurgence of some fashion trends, and Chloe, a Gen Zer, will be telling us if it's acceptable for these things to come back or if these are all super embarrassing and they should never come back. And by supporting us on our Patreon, you get lots of bonus content, not just After Dark every week, but you also get the monthly variety show. We just released a new one in which we are talking about search engines and how Google is actually kind of falling in terms of quality. And I use that as an opportunity to talk about some behind the scenes stuff that happened at Hypable. We have the breaking news benefit that Laura was talking about at the top of the show. We do... uh quirky things from time to time, I guess you could say. I just had some uh, new flooring installed in my place because the other stuff was like extremely basic. And um, I said, hey, patrons, uh, is there anything you want me to write on my floors before they're covered up? So there's kind of a time capsule from some of our listeners underneath my floors now. (laughs) And I took a picture of what I wrote before the floors were covered. But anyway, we're doing all kinds of things at patreon.com slash millennial. So please do check it out. And we would really appreciate your support. We couldn't do any of this without you. So thank you. What did the the workers think when they were laying the new flooring in your place? You know what? I was like, oh, this is some stuff I just wrote. And then I kind of like didn't know how to describe it. And one of them was like, oh, like a time capsule. And I was like, yes, I'm doing a time capsule. That's cute. Yeah. There you go. Okay, so we are joined now by one of our Bay Level supporters on Patreon, Kira. Kira, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I have to say it's surreal being on the show because I've been listening for more than half my life. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Well, thank you for listening for so many years and for your support for so many years as well. And I, I also love this because maybe you've already been able to tell a listener by Kira's audio, but Kira is actually a podcaster herself. Tell us about that. So I have to give like the backstory because you guys are the backstory. So I started listening. Yes, Andrew's like, yes, bring it on. So (laughs) I started listening to MuggleCast. It wasn't right at the beginning. It was like 2008. So for reference, I'm 26. So I was in eighth grade at the time. You guys are a little bit older than me. Um, And so I was like listening to this. I'm like, wow, this is so cool. Like, I can't believe people talk about Harry Potter for this long. Like, that's how long I talk about Harry Potter for. (laughs) And then I found out you guys were only a little bit older than me. So I was like, oh, wow, maybe I could try to start a podcast. And I started a Hunger Games show um, and then later started a genetic show, which is my my current podcast, DNA Today. Um, But you guys inspired me to get into it. And it's kind of become a career for me. So I I have you guys to thank for that. I just love love how you're like, I did a Hunger Games podcast. Then I did a genetics podcast. It's like, (laughs) whoa, big (laughs) jump forward. Like like nerd, but weird, different nerd. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's fantastic. I'm I'm glad to hear that we inspired you. That's so sweet. And I definitely know what you're feeling because I was inspired by somebody I loved who got into podcasting as well. So that's super cool. Um, I actually had a bobblehead of that guy until I accidentally backed into it a few weeks ago, and now he's in pieces. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay, I, though. I, it's... I was sorry to hear that. You're going to have to get some kind of surgery or something on him to put him back together. I need some hot glue, and I need to attempt to fix. But anyway, so you're doing this DNA podcast, DNA Today, genetics podcast, DNA Today, and you are a genetic counselor. What is that? Yeah, so let's start there, right? <laughs> Laura, Pam, and I, when we were planning our interview with you, we were like, does anybody know what that is? <laughs> so what is that? Not a household name yet. Maybe I'm on my way to making it be a household name. Um, but basically, a genetic counselor is a healthcare provider that helps patients understand how genetics can impact their health and their family's health. Um, there's a lot of, you know, branching off areas that genetic counselors can work in. But the most common is you're meeting with patients and helping them understand genetics. Um, I work in the prenatal sector. Um, so I'm meeting primarily with pregnant patients or patients that are looking to become pregnant in the near future. Um, but genetic counselors work in a variety of healthcare settings. So cancer, pediatrics are common um, and other areas of healthcare within that. Okay. Interesting. Given the fact that millennials, people in our age group are having kids later, we know that there can be some anxiety around the optimal childbearing age. What are you seeing in terms of millennial or later in life pregnancies? And what are the options for people who are pursuing parenthood later in life? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Laura, especially for the audience. And if people are thinking about having kids later than, you know, our parents did, because I, I think that is a trend that I'm seeing. Most of the patients I'm meeting with are like over 35 at delivery. Um, so I think some things to keep in mind with this is there's no magic number. I know some patients say like, oh, well, what age should I I stop having kids by? And I'm like, there, there's no magic number with it. Um I think things to keep in mind is that as the pregnant person um, or the person that the egg is being retrieved from, you know, obviously we have different types of family setups that the chance of chromosomal conditions, so a condition like Down syndrome, is more likely to happen as that egg is older. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, as Laura brought up, there's a lot of different ways that we can be doing testing to look at the risk for that. And also ways that like we can freeze our eggs. That's an option that like I'm looking at. Maybe at some point in my life, I'll be like, you know what? I don't have a partner yet. I'm just going to freeze my eggs and, you know, just like pause time in that way. <laughs> um, so I think that's that's one approach. And it's becoming much more affordable now, whereas it used to be just very expensive. And, and it still is, but it's more, you know, accessible for people than it was back in the day. Yeah, and I think it's becoming more common for employers to offer insurance that covers those kinds of procedures. I mean, they're still quite expensive, but it's not quite as cost prohibitive as it once was. Yeah, there's some big companies. I wish I could like rattle them off, but some big companies <laughs> that will pay for it because I mean, thinking about it, if someone is delaying having biological children, then they may be more active in their career. So it's it makes sense for companies to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, what are some resources for people who are looking to have kids later in life? Is there anything you would recommend they look into? I would say to look into like local fertility clinics um, and be able to explore that being an option. And also if you um, 
you know, depending on your insurance setup of contacting your insurance company or your employer, um, if you have insurance through an employer, to see what the options are with that. It uh, also depends what state you're in. So, you know, if you're listening from the U.S., different states have different policies with that, too. So some are more likely to to have it be more affordable than others and different laws that are in place. Um, but I would start with a fertility clinic and, you know, see what information that you can get from there. Okay. Are there any genetic tests that people should consider prior to conceiving? Yeah. So one of the types of appointments that I do as a genetic counselor is meet with people that are thinking about becoming pregnant soon. And so one of the tests that we talk about in that setting is called carrier screening. So this is looking at conditions that if both of the biological parents are the carrier of the same condition, it's possible they could pass that on to a child. So some of the more common conditions that come up with this is cystic fibrosis or sickle cell. Um, so these are, if you're going back to like high school biology, those are the autosomal recessive conditions. So when we're looking at like those Punnett squares that you draw, it's like one out of four of the boxes. Um, so it's that would be the chance if, if both parents are a carrier of the same condition. So you don't need to be pregnant to do these tests. And I've done them myself of different um, genetic testing companies to see like, OK, am I a carrier of any conditions? Like right now, out of curiosity, but, you know, down the road for me, having kids, hopefully at some point, um, that's good information to know. Well, speaking of genetic tests, let's talk about these direct-to-consumer DNA genetic tests. They seem ubiquitous these days, but when did they start appearing for sale? And when did sales start skyrocketing? Because I just feel like nobody was really talking about these maybe 10, 15 years ago. Maybe the internet played a big role. When did they rise in popularity? So 23andMe is one of the big players with this, and Ancestry DNA is the other really big player. And 23andMe started in 2006, which I was even surprised to see that because I was like, I don't remember hearing anything mm. about direct consumers like 2006, like yeah. even in the early like 2010s. I don't even remember any of that coming up. Well, you were busy reading The Hunger Games. So that is there true. wasn't time to. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. You know, I was busy listening to MuggleCast and Imprint <laughs> and I had no time to look at this. The um, MuggleCasters <laughs> weren't talking about DNA at home tests. Sorry, Not go so ahead. so much, right? <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I mean, 23andMe started 2006, um, but there was also a big back and forth with the FDA for years. So I think that also prohibited them from becoming big. But I would say 2017 is when it really exploded, which think about it, that's like more than 10 years later. Um, so yeah. I, I would say that's when it became very popular. Um, and that's mm. right before I started grad school. And I did notice like, oh, now when I bring up what I'm going to grad school for, people are like, oh, tell me about 23andMe. Like, should I do it? Like, that, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. where people would go in the conversation. I'm like, ah, oh, here we go again, you know. Um, <laughs> but if you're coming on this podcast. We're like, oh, tell us about that. Actually, Kira offered to talk to us yes, about yes, this. Yes, yes, yes. I know. Like, so oh, I set you up to be like the bad guys it. there. No, I think it's interesting. <laughs> and and it's it's cool to dive into it more than the the surface level of just like what it is, right? Like we're doing yeah. now. Well, speaking of diving deeper, what are some of the biggest benefits of doing doing one of these that people may not realize? We hear some of the headlines, but like what's some of the lesser known benefits of these? Yeah, so I think it certainly depends on what type of direct consumer genetic testing you're ordering. We'll kind of stick with the big players, but with 23andMe and Ancestry DNA, you can get Ancestry genetic information. Um, so I think that's something that everybody knows about. But 
on the side of what people may not be aware of is the health side of the information. So some of the kits provide this. And one of the examples I use is that there are genes that are looked at that can play a role in cancer development. So usually these genes protect us from cancer, but if there's a mutation in them, then our protection for cancer is lower. We're more likely to develop cancer. Um, So BRCA1 and 2 are genes that are most, if people have heard of any of the genes, it's usually those. Angelina Jolie was quite uh, popular a few years ago when she was talking about her coming back as positive for a genetic mutation in these. And so 23andMe actually looks at some mutations on there. So for some people, they might do the testing and not realize, and then they learn, oh, I have an increased risk for breast, ovarian cancer, prostate cancer. So that, I mean, could be either way. Some people may not want to know that. And others are like, wow, I do want to know this because I want to increase my screening and talk to my doctors about it. So um, a lot of people don't talk about that aspect. Well, let me stop you right there because our social media manager, Chloe, actually said in our Discord right now that uh, because of 23andMe, that's how she found out she had BRCA, which eventually led to her breast cancer diagnosis. So she's very grateful for 23andMe, she said. She just said in our chat, 23andMe is the only reason I'm alive. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, Chloe, you're like a perfect example of like how that came up for you and you, you know, being, I think Chloe's younger than me, I think. Um, So yeah, you're saying you were, you were 19, like that most people are not doing that testing at 19, especially if you, you know, I don't know your full family history and everything. um, But if there was nothing alarming or red flags in family history, then you wouldn't have, have known that. Okay. Yes. And if you're adopted, exactly. Yes. I do remember that now it's all coming back to me. uh, Previous (laughs) episodes. I'm like, yes, there it is. Um, So yeah, certainly I think a lot of people that um, are in the adoptee community end up doing genetic testing because they don't know that family history in a lot of cases for for biological relatives. So certainly there's a there's a whole community there as well. Yeah. Hmm. And then could you just run through quickly just so in case people don't know like what are the some of the more well-known benefits of these you mentioned uh, Ancestry. Right. So Ancestry is certainly one of them. Um I would say some of the health information um I think there's a lot of you know, some of the tests will say like, oh, are you caffeine dependent or not? Like, how sensitive are you to caffeine? Like, I could tell you that before I took my test. It said, yes, you're very sensitive to caffeine. I'm like, yes. All right. That checks out. So I think some (laughs) of it is more just like, you know, interesting entertainment. Um, But when it comes to the health information, the cancer genes, but also, as I mentioned earlier, if you're a carrier for a condition, there's some of them on there. I know cystic fibrosis is on there. Um, which was my example from earlier. So you might find out, oh, if I want to have children, um, my the sperm or egg donor, your partner, whoever um, would you know want to get testing to see if they're also a carrier. So that also could be useful information that comes up. I think you can um, you can get tested with one company and load your DNA results into another company, right? So I did my DNA through Ancestry, but I believe that I can also transfer it to 23andMe if I want to get all of that health information, right? Yeah, I think some of the companies, like you certainly can, like I also did it through Ancestry DNA and I downloaded what's called the raw data. And so I've uploaded that to other sites to get some more information out of it that Ancestry isn't directly telling me. Um, So that's certainly an option. I don't know off the top of my head if you can do it with 23andMe. 
Um, but that's interesting. And it's it's not like it's looking at all of your genetics. It's looking at just some hot spots. So I think that's another aspect that people may not understand that it's not a whole genome sequencing. It's not looking at every letter of the billions of letters we have. Um, so it's 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 genetic testing light. Okay. Got it. So Laura, I know you are excited about this discussion because actually you and your mom, I think, are really into mapping out your family tree. So 23andMe was very helpful. And you had some questions here too. Yeah, yeah. So we, my mom is like the family genealogist um, because much of our family history predates like the American Revolution. There is some, I mean, everyone's family history does, right? But in terms of like people being here and trying to figure out where they came from, there are some, you know, spotty areas where it's like, we don't know like where this person came from. Um, And census records are also kind of spotty depending on the part of the country you're in. But something that I've noticed is that the DNA results summary or the ethnicity estimate, as Ancestry DNA calls it, seems to be refined over time. I've noticed that some regions that used to be on my results are no longer there or they've changed entirely. Why does that happen? That's a great question. And you probably get the emails like, I think I got one last week, like, oh, your your ethnicity has been updated. Like, my history hasn't changed, right? Like, right, I know. No it's, one has a time machine. It's so <laughs> weird. It's like, your ethnicity is different. I'm like, is it? Um, I don't think that's how that works, ancestry. Um, but it, it seems like more of a, this seems like the kitschy fun side of DNA testing that people love to do. You know, people love to take the test and then share the world map showing all the regions that they're from. But if those regions are updating frequently, then what does that say? (laughs) So it's basically that, you know, we, we finished what was called the human genome project where we're able to sequence, you know, basically the entire genome. It wasn't actually the full genome, but you know, that's a story for another day. But (laughs) when we're looking at it, We're able to sequence it, but we don't understand it. Like that's the next level of genetics that we're at right now is understanding the spelling of the genes. And when like a gene is misspelled, is that human diversity and it doesn't lead to any health problems or does it cause problems? And so part of the issue with the genetic ancestry is that we're understanding these what we call variants. So the different spelling changes more over time. So when I did it originally, you know, it said I'm this percent Polish. And now that's changed over the years um, because it's been like five years since I've done it. So it's just that we're understanding those variants better over time. So then they're updating the results. So it's not that your genetics are changing. It's our understanding of it is adapting because I have some patients like I go through their family history. And part of that is asking, you know, what countries are your ancestors from? Like I'm asking their genetic ancestry. And, you know, some people say, you know, because I asked them, do you have any Jewish ancestry Um, specifically? And some people are like, oh, yes, like 1% from 23andMe. Like that's what they told me, your ancestry DNA. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm looking for more like if it's a big chunk of the pie, right? So I think, you know, that's that's part of it. And and just to explain, like, why I'm asking about Jewish ancestry is because if people have Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry, so Eastern European, 
they're more likely to be a carrier of a condition. So that's just part of the information that we're looking at. Um, and that's why on a lot of forms that healthcare providers may ask you if you have any Ashkenazi Jewish descent genetically. Um, but it's it's interesting when it updates. And I'm like, what am I today? Like, you know, oh, something disappeared. <laughs> something else is added. It's It's interesting. Yeah, it really is. For me, the biggest change was that originally my ethnicity estimate, it's such a weird term for it. It, <laughs> it originally yeah. said that I was 48% Irish, which tracked for me because knowing what we know about our family history, we had quite a bit of family from Ireland. Well, it's since updated to say that I'm actually 48% Scottish. And I'm like, well, I mean, they're right there. Like, yeah, they're right next to each <laughs> other. Enough. So, you know, it's yeah. Fine. And I, th- I think one of the problems Two, with the genetic testing and ancestry, which is not just this direct consumer, but medical grade testing, too. So testing I order for my patients, which is going to be different than this, you know, testing that you can order for yourself, is that for people like me and Laura, where we have ancestors from Ireland, you know, it can get as specific as saying my family is from East Cork, Ireland. Like that's like the most of it. Right. But for people that have ancestry from non-European countries, it does not get as specific. It's going to give you a much bigger region. So there's just a huge disparity in genetics when it comes from, you know, between people of European descent and people of non-European descent. And it's something that I think the field is addressing, but not fast enough, as you know, you guys talk about a lot on the show of like these disparities that are existing and like we know they're there, but like nothing's happening with them or it's like really slow progress. And that's certainly something that we see with genetics. Laura found out she was Scottish and she got the Scots edition of Harry Potter. She became <laughs> an Outlander fan. I didn't know who I was anymore. She got a sweater that said, I'm not yelling, I'm Scottish. She went all in. <laughs> well, that's really common too, right? Like people get told by their family that they're one thing and then they take these tests and then like, surprise, you have a different <laughs> yeah. dad or yes. surprise, you have a sibling that you didn't know about and... Stuff like that, right? It it like unearths a lot of family drama. Yeah, I've interviewed a couple people where that's happened. Um, There's a author, Danny Shapiro, who wrote a book about, you know, finding this out after her parents had passed away and just like, you know, how do you even come to terms with that? And did her parents know? And and there's just, you know, a lot of, you know, I kind of a lot of genetic counselors use the phrase like think before you spit. Because with these spit tests, with the DNA tests, you don't know what you're going to learn from it. Like, do you really want to go there? I think is a good question. It's like, you know, it's like to me, that's like that, like excites me. Right. That's like Pandora's box. Andrew's like, let's get into it. (laughs) Mm, For the show. What can (laughs) this be? All of my siblings and I, that's that's how we feel, too, because with my my dad. Like my apparently my grandma and then her sister know who his father is, but nobody we they don't talk about him. And so we have no idea about like who our paternal grandfather was or like what he did or if he's still like supposedly rumor is that he's still alive and he has other siblings like my dad has other siblings, but we don't know. And so that's the running joke between the six of us. Well, if one of us, you know, does this DNA testing, it's possible that we might be able to find like actual grandpa that we've never met. So yeah. So you're going to go undercover and start exploring and sending <laughs> yeah. in your saliva. Pretty much. 
Yeah, so I think this could be considered a downside in some situations. And I think we brought this up on the show a while ago. There have been many instances of police uploading crime scene data to GED Match and other databases where purchasers of genetic testing kits can share their DNA data in hopes of finding long-lost relatives. And then police catch criminals by matching up all this data. And there have been dozens of instances of police successfully catching criminals this way. Actually, according to Laura, your favorite site, Pew. Has it, is right, it dozens? Andrew's supposed to go pew, 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 yeah. pew, 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 <laughs> True listener right there. Um, is it, it, Kira, do you know how many have actually occurred? I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you think I it's more than dozens? I wish I had a number. I, I would say it's it's probably, you know, a fair amount. Um, I, I can't remember now if you guys covered it on the show, but the Golden State Killer um, was caught through yeah. the GED mm-hmm. um, thing that you were talking about. Um, so it, it's interesting because when we send our saliva, our DNA to these companies, you know, we're signing away like, OK, you know, kind of do whatever you want with my DNA. I'm Not completely, but there's a lot of fine print that who reads, right? Like who actually sits and reads all the terms and conditions and right. these companies can end up selling their company to someone else. Like, you you don't really know. And so it's certainly something that can happen. And for the database that we were talking about, that people are voluntarily uploading their information to. But yeah. for other services like 23andMe, I mean, you imagine how many samples they have. Like, that is very valuable. And, and Ancestry yeah. DNA. Um, and then, know. of course, in the marketing, you you hear nothing about you know, what they could potentially do with your DNA data. It's just all the good stuff. Like, oh, learn about your family history. Oh, learn what breed your dog actually is. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. You know, it's all like can be harmless stuff. But that's that's a really important point for people to keep in mind, because just like with any app or operating system, we see the terms and conditions come up and we're like, whatever, except we're signing away so, so much of our privacy and our rights. Yeah, like even when I was when I I've done a bunch of them now and for some of them like I was like do I put my real name or do I put a pseudonym? Like am I linking mm. my actual DNA with my real name? Um Ooh. and and at one point my my cousins were together and we're all very close and um one of my cousins I was talking about doing the testing I was like, "Oh, did you guys know like this is what we are and and everything?" And you know, obviously it's not going to be as accurate as for my full brother, you know, is with my cousins, but you know, and one of my cousins, you know, he he's a smart aleck and stuff. And he's like, you didn't have my permission to send Danine DNA into, you know, 23, I mean, all that. And, and he's <laughs> joking, but he has, he's got a grain of truth there, right? Where it's like me sending in my DNA, I'm also sending in my cousin's DNA, my parents, my brother, my grandparents. So yeah. you're putting it out there. So even if you decide I'm a very private person, I don't want my DNA out there, you can't control your family members. So it's like, where does it end? And yeah, yeah. So if my cousin goes and commits a crime, they might be able to link it back to him if they're able to find my DNA. You know, so yeah. You know, I, I said, Tim, yeah. you know, better be careful. Like, don't do anything stupid. And you know, but it's <laughs> something think, you have to think about. And I think something like this happens in real life. Like, there was an instance of this where, like, a DNA test of a family member linked that other family member to the crime, something like that. Yeah, that was the Golden State State Killer. Killer. Oh, it was the Golden State Killer. Wow. Yeah, and I can't remember if it was a first cousin or exactly what the relation was, but they were able to narrow it down because of DNA database. Wow. Yeah. Damn. 
So, and we're probably just going to hear more of this, right? It's like, you know, oh, that's yeah. probably just the first landmark case. Yeah. Because, I mean, these are, the tests are fascinating. Just and they're cheap. At 20, they're so cheap. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 99 bucks to learn a lot of information. Yeah. 17% off on St. Patrick's Day. You know, there's all kinds of sales uh. going on, right? <laughs> Find out if you're Irish. <laughs> <laughs> right. On St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, that, okay. That was super interesting. Thanks for sharing all that. Do you have any experience or knowledge of the animal ones? I did one for Brooklyn. It was okay. Do, yeah. you, do you dabble in this? I haven't yet, but it's on my list of like future episodes I want to do. Um, of bring someone on okay. from like, I, I remember, you know, recently on LinkedIn, I've seen like pet DX a lot and, you know, different things. So Andrew, I'm curious. So did you get a saliva sample from Brooklyn or like, what what kind of sample did you send in? Yeah, it was a saliva test that I bought through Amazon. It's called Embark. And I remember buying it because it had gone on sale and I had been thinking about uh, buying one of these for a while. The main reason I wanted it was because Brooklyn is a very unique looking dog. Genuinely, I'm not just being obsessed with him. It's true. I challenge anyone to find another dog who looks similar to him. So I wanted to see what breeds he was, and I got the test back, and it did show me that he had eight or nine different types of breeds in him, and it was interesting to see his breakdown for the first time. They broke down each breed by percentage, and now when people ask me what type of dog he is, I just tell them, thanks to a DNA test I did, he's all over the place. I don't really give them a direct answer anymore. So it was fun. It wasn't super helpful, but I'm glad I did it. He was a rescue, so I didn't have any breed breakdown until I took that test with him. And I guess I would recommend anybody who has rescued a dog to do one of these tests because you can find some information that you probably didn't know otherwise. And I think because I got the Embark test for Canela too. I have not done it and sent it back yet. Um, When I got that and I told Mark, he was like, this is literally the whitest thing you've ever done, (laughs) getting a DNA test for your dog. And I was like, sound very basic. (laughs) You know what? You're not wrong. But I noticed that Embark has a special like upgraded edition that can also be used to detect medical conditions in your dog. Um, I don't have any worries about Canella, so I didn't get that one. But I mean, she's a dumpster baby. I, I got her out of the trash, you know, so I have no idea what her background is. And I'm curious, you know, she's getting up there. Yeah. She's 10 this year. So I want to know. Yeah, when, I see that being more of a market. Like, mm-hmm. like knowing breeds is like interesting, but if you can actually use it for health information, like your dog, like if we do it for humans, why not for dogs? Like yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, there is a cool feature within Embark where you can see doggy relatives. That's kind of cute. Yeah, they email you like, hey, there's a new match. And then you can actually see a picture of that dog if that parent has uploaded the dog. And I actually was looking forward to this because I was hoping maybe I would finally see another dog that looks similar to Brooklyn. And I haven't yet. This is like, yes, it's a white people thing, probably. Um, It's also probably a good like birthday gift or holiday yeah. gift for people. So good gift for someone that has everything <laughs> like. Right. <laughs> right. Also, yeah. listen, white people, we don't have the best history when it comes to like basically anything. And this, you know, getting your pet's DNA done seems fairly harmless. So, right. You know. There's not going to be any family drama there. Right. And, uh, the cops won't catch any killers through the dog tests. Right. Give the white people something harmless that they can play with and <laughs> 
keep them away from more serious matters. We've done enough damage. Well, Kira, this was so interesting. Thank you so much. And if people want to hear more about your work and genetics and DNA tests, uh, they can check out your podcast, DNA Today. Where is, what's the website for it? The website is dnapodcast.com. But yeah, anywhere you listen to Millennial, you can listen to DNA Today. Cool. So you just search DNA Today and uh, feel free to follow the podcast and see Kira's work. Congrats. We're so excited for you. That's really cool. Thank you. Amazing work. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks to you guys for introducing me to podcasting. So, you know. You're welcome. (laughs) Our pleasure. I'm so happy to hear that it inspired you. Kira will be hanging around with us today for After Dark. Laura, Pam, what is coming up in After Dark today? Um, We're going to talk about the resurgence of fashion trends because what goes around comes around and it's all very cyclical. But uh, we thought it'd be fun to have Chloe come on as well because uh, Y2K fashion is on the up again. And obviously this is stuff that we all grew up seeing or or uh, incorporating into our own styles back in the day. And since Gen Z is all about that, we thought it would be funny to ask if she would actually partake in some of the stuff that we used to rock when we were a little bit younger. So should be fun. I have a feeling she'll be opinionated. And Kira, mm-hmm. you're actually right on that millennial age I'm, I'm line, a cusper. Right? I think I just made the cutoff. <laughs> like in order to wear the shirt, I feel like I needed to. So yes. Oh, uh, we would have allowed you to wear that millennial shirt anyway. <laughs> so that'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial. We're releasing bonus content with the main show every week in uh, Mega Millennial. It's the main show ad free with After Dark at the end of it. So you get all of uh, our favorite millennial content each week wrapped up in one MP3 file. And by the way, when you do become a patron, Patreon will give you a special RSS feed that you can pop into most podcast apps. So you'll be able to download and listen to Mega Millennial and Hashing It Out and The Variety Show and Breaking News in your favorite podcast app. You don't have to go to Patreon to listen to all this stuff. It's just a one-time setup, then you're good. This works for every podcast app except for Spotify. And you know what? That's fine, because maybe people shouldn't be using Spotify after all. And now it's time for some recommendations. I have this kind of umbrella recommendation this week. I wanted to recommend some of my favorite products at Trader Joe's. Apologies to anyone who's abroad, because this is the Trader Joe's is only in America, as far as I know. I'm obsessed with most things at Trader Joe's, but th- some things have been in my life for so long. I wanted to give a shout out to a couple of them, and then I'll recommend a couple newer things. The vegetable masala burgers are so darn good. These are vegetarian. They cook very easily. They are scrumptious. They melt in your mouth. I put them uh, on sandwich thins, thins, add a little hummus. Mm, hits the spot. My all-time favorite Trader Joe's item is chunky guacamole. This is actually made with yogurt, though. I have been eating this for a good 10 years. I put it on uh, pretzel crisps. I, um, I'll put it on a sandwich from time to time. If Trader Joe's ever discontinues this product, it's going to be a very dark day in my life because I am really addicted to this stuff. And also a couple of new products that I'm really excited about. Sauce. This is their In-N-Out sauce. They've tried to replicate the the burger spread at In-N-Out. And also, Magnificence. This is even newer. If you love the Chick-fil-A sauce, but you don't want to support Chick-fil-A, buy Trader Joe's Magnificence because they're they're coming for Chick-fil-A with Magnificence. So there's a bunch of random Trader Joe's recs for everybody. 
Uh, just reiterating my earlier recommendations for this week. Um, if you need financial advice, we do recommend checking out the foundation the Foundation for Financial Planning. They offer pro bono financial planning services for financially vulnerable people. Also, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. They're the U.S.'s largest nonprofit financial counseling organization. And you can also check out the U.S. Department of Justice's search tool for finding a credit counseling agency. We will provide those links in the show notes. And if you are shelling out for Amazon Prime and you also have Prime Video and you're looking for something to watch, I wanted to recommend I Want You Back, which is a movie that came out right around Valentine's Day. It's just a really cute, classic little rom-com. It really reminded me a lot of like some of the rom-coms from the 90s, 2000s. And it focuses on two 30-somethings that unexpectedly get dumped and then cross paths. And then they decide to help each other sabotage their exes' new relationships in an effort to get back together with them. So... Um, uh, check that out if you're looking for something light to watch. That's on my watch list. I was like, oh, if Pam's wanting to watch it, then I'm definitely going to watch that sooner rather than later. <laughs> I liked it. I don't know. I mean, like I was just looking on IMDb. It only has like a six star rating, but I don't know. I, I don't usually tend to um, pay too much attention to reviews. So, And I wanted to recommend The Genome Odyssey. This is a book by you and Ashley, and it's really interesting. It, it takes you through one of the first genomes that was sequenced, so all of your genetic information. Um, and then I had him and the person that had his genome done. Um, so it was the fifth person in the world. I had them on um, our 150th episode of DNA Today. Um, so that was really good. But the the book is also short, which is why I recommend it, because some genetic books are like 500 pages long or too long. Um, but yeah, this one's kind of more of an easy read. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Kira. It was excellent having you on. Thanks for all your insight and expertise. And like we said, Kira will be sticking around for After Dark on our Patreon. couple closing reminders. You can contact us by writing directly to millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media. Chloe's having a lot of fun over our, on our social media channels. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And on our new TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Kira. Bye, everyone. Bye.